community. Come on, thank God for all he's doing with one community. Praise God. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump right in. Let's pray, God. We thank you today for your word. We thank you for this worship experience. I pray that you would hide me behind your glory, and you be glorified. God, I thank you that you give fresh anointing and preaching power to the end that souls are saved and lives are changed. Speak, Lord. Your children are listening. We need to hear what it is you have to say. And then, God, if you're glorified, we'll be satisfied. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, Turn with me to the gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 1, verse 40. The gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 1, verse 40. If you have it, say amen. Mark 1, verse 40. It says, Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him, and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus Uh, moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, um, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Listen real closely. And he strictly warned him and sent him away at once. And this is what he said. And he said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread uh, the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places. And they came to him from every direction. For a little while, I want to talk about what do I do with it all? What do I do with it all? Now, do me a favor right before we get started. You already know what to do, but I'm going to help you. Look down your row with a real tough look on your face. Look down your row. Look down your row. Look at them. And I just want you to just say real loud, if you're going to stay on this row, you got to help the preacher. Now, before you stop looking at him, say, I don't want to have to tell you that again. All right. We live in a tell-all society. We live in a society who likes to tell everything. We live in a tell-all society. As a matter of fact, if someone is selling a book, on a, a biography or an autobiography, one of the best ways to advertise it is call it a tell-all. And people want it because it's a tell-all book in an effort to garner a larger audience for an interview that you're about to have on television. One of the ways is you would market it as an exclusive tell-all interview uh, because there's something, something captivating about someone willing to lay it all out. We live in a world that is mesmerized by details and facts of other people's lives. And we live in a world who is consumed with always telling it all. You'll help me in a minute, but until then, I'll help myself preach Alexander. In this social media world, there is no limit to what people will post. It's become a platform to share our lives, and I think, in many times, to overshare. Today's culture uh, will cause one to wonder, is there anything left to the imagination? 
is there anything left to privacy or decency or restraint or discretion in the name of being true to self, in the name of keeping it real or keeping it 100, or in the name of telling it like it is? Folks post everything. I, I, I mean, uh, I mean, we know where you ate this morning. We know what the breakfast was. We know what you had for lunch. We know where you plan on going for dinner. We know what you're wearing. We know where you live. We know what you drive. We know where you work, Preacher Alexander. We know where you went to vacation. We know who went with you that should not have. We know what you did on vacation. We know when you feel holy. We know when you feel hellish. We know when you like somebody. We know when you're mad at somebody. Why? You tell it all. If some folks that go on vacation and take pictures on the beach, they should never have posted because we are obsessed with telling it all. And then I came from a church who taught us to tell it all. As a matter of fact, I grew up at a church that taught us, if the Lord's been good to you, you ought to tell it. Uh, if the Lord has made a way for you, you ought to tell it. We used to open up church on Sunday nights with testifying services, and people would get up and tell about the goodness of the Lord, and they'd start testifying and the dynamics of church would change and we would have these great phenomenal fireball services where people would testify about the goodness of the Lord and they'd say, God's been so good to me. I just came. We went to the same church, tell it all. And, and then something happened and folks in testifying services started testifying about the goodness of the Lord and a whole lot of other stuff. And then we had to cut out testifying services because people started telling way too much. Just, just way too much way too much. Then we used to let you join church and talk in the mic, amen, and then we had to take the mic back, and now we just tell you, if you want to be a member of a church, log in online. We'll see you later. Because people like to tell way, help me preach, way too much. Uh -huh. And then we get to this text today, and Jesus comes along and heals this man and instructs this man uh, to go show himself to the priest as a purpose of being reinstated into society. Preach Alexander. And but for a few moments, I don't want to talk about this man and his leprosy. As a matter of fact, I don't even want to talk about this miracle that Jesus performs so much as what happens immediately after the miracle is performed. See how fast I'm going? I'm trying to get you to come on in there. Uh, and as immediately after the miracle, as uh, immediately when the man realizes he's been clean and made whole Jesus looks at him and says to him don't tell anyone what does the leper do go out and tell everyone but I want to before I appear too mean or too mad or too hard on the man let me first say I get it let me first say I get it I do empathize I do understand preach Alexander look down your row say I'm not gonna have to tell you now just preach Alexander um, Jesus comes along and literally gives Gives this man his life back. This man was on death's row without hope, without help on his side. And Jesus comes along and literally takes this man off of death's row. How could he not tell it? How could he or anyone else for that matter have a life-altering encounter with the almighty God and then contain it to himself? And for the record, it's not an isolated incident. Preach Alexander. One or more than one occasion in the book 
book of Mark, Jesus would perform a miracle and then instruct the recipients of the miracle to refrain from sharing it. And in most cases, all of the healed people, all of the recipients of the miracle most often went and told it. He raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. What did Jairus do? Go and tell it. He unstopped death ears. What did the man do? Go and tell it. It seems to further support the argument that it is not possible for a man to contain himself when he's had such an encounter. I mean, you've heard it said, God's so good to me. God's been so good. I just got to tell it. And in most situations, I would agree with you when God's been good. I feel like preaching. I don't know about you. When God's been good, you just ought to tell it. But I get to the end of chapter one of Mark and it's intriguing, somewhat confusing because the Lord performs this wonderful miracle for the leper, this wonderful miracle for the leper and tells him not to tell it. In keeping what seems to be with the messianic secret, the messianic secret was this idea that there was a period of time in Jesus' ministry when he did not want to be fully known. It wasn't time yet. He wasn't ready yet to be fully exposed. I'm going fast as I can to be fully figured out or discovered or revealed. So there's a period of time he wanted to keep some things under wraps. Preach Alexander. So he told demons not to tell it. He told disciples not to tell it. He told people not to tell it. However, when he told demons not to tell it, they didn't tell it. When he told disciples not to tell it, they seemed to have nothing to tell anyway. But when he told people not to tell it, what did they do? Ran and told it. And then if I can really build my case, I'm trying to build my argument. Y'all not helping me, but I'm going to build it. If I can build my case, you have to understand the severity of this man's condition to then to be requested to keep in silence when this man's problem, that modern day Hansen's disease, was a terrible disease, incurable, progressively disfiguring, and it had religious significance because not only were you physically sick, they called you unclean and sinful like it was your fault for getting sick. This man was forced to live on the outskirts. This man was forced to be away from his family. And the only people he could be around was other sick people. And then if anybody clean came around or anybody sick or well came in his vicinity, he was to holler out, unclean! And he was expected to stay like that until he was supernaturally healed or until he died. He was hopeless. And then Jesus comes around and not only tells the man not to tell it, but can I do a little work? The text says he told him, he sternly warned him not to tell it. So look at the text and let's go around. He's going by. This leper stops him and begs him, implores him, begs him to heal him. The text says, he's moved with compassion his heart comes out he stops and shows his love and then heals the man but then the text says he sternly warns him the word there in the original text for sternly warns him means there was a drastic shift in the mood he went from being kind and loving and then the word says it's a stern warning like somebody angry with their nostrils flaring out he went from smiling and healing to almost with his finger in his face said now listen 
listen, don't you tell anybody. He was adamant about this man keeping it to himself. Here is where my argument is. I pulled out commentaries. I studied theologians. I Googled. I searched software programs trying to find somebody to support this thought I had when I read this text. I thought I just needed a little support. You don't just jump up giving out these ideas without some support from some other theologians, but all the commentaries I read supported this man and gave this man a pass for telling what Jesus told him not to tell. I don't hear y'all preach Alexander. So then I called some great legendary preachers of our nation that I know, and I say to them, I'm having this thought, but I cannot find anybody to support me in this thought that this man shouldn't have told it. He preached Alexander, and these great preachers told me, be careful, Eric. You're on thin ice. You're pushing. I said, well, what do you call it? He says, well, maybe we will call it an excusable disobedience. Guess what I said? Maybe you weren't raised in the house with my mama. Because I've never been able to do something she told me not to do and then put it under the a category of excusable disobedience. If she said, don't do it, she meant, I wish I had some help in here, don't do it. And because I don't believe that Jesus plays games with us, and because I don't believe Jesus tells us to do something that he does not expect us to obey, and I don't believe Jesus will set this man up for failure just to play got you. I don't believe Jesus toys with us and plays with us. I believe if Jesus speaks a thing, he means a thing. So I believe if he tells the man not to tell it, not only did the man sh should have kept it, but the man also had the power to keep it to himself because wherever Jesus gives instructions, he gives empowerment to do it. Well, I, I did all that talking just to get here. Scoot up. Not look up. Scoot up. Scoot up. Are, are y'all ready? Y'all just looked up. Scoot up. That's, I'm, I'm Watch. What should he do with it all? How could he... Not tell it. Jesus healed him, gave him his life back, and he's supposed to keep it. Jesus gave him an assignment. Go show yourself to your priest. Go back home, but keep it. Go show yourself to the priest. Go home, keep it. What is, your, what is my argument? Just because. Society and even religious leaders accept your behavior. God does not change his view toward his commandments just because your friends accept your bad behavior. Y'all not hip. Five of y'all should have stood up, but you know, I might be talking about y'all, so, so don't blow your cover. Just stand up and say, you preaching. Don't blow you. You got to know how to act in church. When it really hits hard to your, just stand up and say, you preaching. Because sometimes we feel like we're validated in abandoning our assignment because others around us accommodate us when we fail to demonstrate development and discipline in our discipleship. I don't care if your friends say it's okay. I don't say if your mama and your daddy say it's okay. If God says it's a no, it's a no. 
Y'all not helping me, but I need somebody who knows God's word is not some gotcha game trying to set you up for fail. If God says live a certain way, we're to live a certain way. If God says do a certain thing, we're to do a certain thing. And with this society who has its mock prerogative where we can do everything we want to do, God is not playing Burger King religion. You don't get to have it your way. It's his world. It's his church. It's his life. It's his body. Bible and society and culture don't get to change the assignment on your life. If you were helping me, I wouldn't have time to think of these examples. But if God says if you're single, stay celibate, you don't get to change the rules. If God says if you're a wife, submit, you don't get to change the rules. If God says if you're a husband, love like Christ loved the church, I don't care what happens, you don't get to change the rules. And if God says if you've been born again, you're supposed to work out your salvation in the local church, in ministry, you don't get to get big, bad, and blessed and change the rules. If God said it, he meant it. And be real careful comparing yourself to your circle. Just because your circle is doing it doesn't make it right. As a matter of fact, it just might mean you got the wrong circle. The house where I grew up in, you couldn't go home and tell your mother everybody else was doing it. Because then my mother would say, I'm not everybody else's mama. I wish I had some help in here. Then when she said, come on in here, y'all know where come on in here is, don't you? Come on in this room. And then when I came in the room, guess what? Everybody else wasn't in there when she was having laying on hand service. It was just me and her. And somewhere in the middle of laying on hand service, she stopped and said, where is everybody else now? I wish I had some help in here. Be real careful letting everybody else get you in trouble with God because in the midnight hour, when you really need him, it's just going to be you and God. So I'm watching Christians become so concerned with looking and living like the world that we'll abandon our assignments just to look like the world. And God will bless you and heal you and deliver you and get you out of some stuff. And I don't want you to tell all your business. Some of y'all, God has got out of so much stuff and turned your life around and brought you through some stuff. And you look so saved and sanctified now. You look so delivered like you just never got in a Look like you ain't never had no DUIs. You just look like you've never been to a club. You just look like you've never drank anything over one glass of wine. Look like you would never use profanity with your holy sanctified self. I wish I had some help in here. Look like you've never had anything that could have destroyed your whole life. 
don't look like you ever got hooked up and fell in love with somebody you shouldn't have ever been in love with and they flip your whole life upside down. Don't look like you ever misused your credit and got in a money situation that God had to get you out of. You can jump in anytime. You don't look like you ever raised some children and they went from little bitty babies in your arm to nightmare on Elm Street. Just look like you all had a perfect life, but I wish I had somebody in here that knows when God has blessed you and delivered you, don't abandon your assignment. Stay with what God told you to do. So why does God bless and give assignments that seem to have restraints? Because some of us get blessed and then we, we, we abandon the assignment. Can I help you just for a moment? I got a few more minutes. Lean in. Look down your row. Say, say, tell your row. Say something. Tell them what to say. There you go. Sometimes there are restraints in my life and boundaries in my life because God is trying to develop something in me. And just because I'm blessed does not mean God is not finished developing something in me. Yes, you got the job, but he's still working on you. Yes, you got the marriage, but he's still working on you. Yes, he promoted you, but he's still working on you. And don't ever let your blessings cause you to usurp the idea that God is working on you. What is he developing in me? Maybe he wants us to understand the difference between Kronos and Kairos. Preach Alexander that there's human timing and there's God timing. And when, uh, when he says don't tell it, there will come a day when he wanted them to tell it but just not at this time and you have to understand when God puts you under time restraints he knows what he's doing I need five of y'all to wave at me say you preaching right now you gotta take your human timing and always uh, make it submitted to God's timing because if God says it's not time right now it's not time right now and can I suggest this God's timing will get on your nerve sometimes because remember that church I told you I grew up in that church I grew up in the deacons taught us something that maybe is not right because the deacons would pray and they would say Lord go to the jail houses go in the prison walls go in the convalescent home I was 40 before I knew what convalescent home was go up and down the hedges and uh Told you we went to the same church in the byways. Heal, deliver, set free. And at the end of their prayer, they would say, right now, Lord, right now. And then all of us in church would just holler, right now with them, right now, right now. Because we thought that if you wanted God to do something, if you put a three or four real good strong right nows on it, it would make him do it right now. So you just have to be real deep. Y'all don't know how to be deep. Let me show you. Let me show you how to be Baptocostal like me. Sit up and frown. And when you ask God for something, then at the end, just frown real good and say, right now right now right now right now and that meant he was going to turn around and do it right then then the deacon would get done uh praying and then they would sing a song it taught us something that could mess us up jesus is on the main line i, I told y'all we were at the same church then they tell us the line is never busy just and then this is the line that messed us up. He will come in a hurry if you tell him what you want. Then I grew up, start calling on God for stuff, and I tried that stuff. I tried when I really need him to say, right now, right now, right now. And then I opened my eyes, and he hadn't moved, so I closed them again and said, right now, right now, right now. Then I opened my eyes and said, wait a minute now. They told me say right now three times real good with a frown, and it'll get you what you want. So I'm hollering again, right now, heal right now, bring that money right now. Now, then I go call the bank and let me tell you something. God, you can't hurry God. 
And can I tell you what's making God take so long? It's not what's going on around you. It's what he's trying to develop inside of you. And until what's inside of you is where he wants it to be, you can holler right now. He's still not moving until you grow up to who he's called you to be. Maybe this side around here going to help me. There's another, there's another idea I got y'all back there. Y'all help me. Come on, scoot up. There's another side uh, I got, and here's another uh, point of view I think I have, and it is maybe God gives restraints and tells the man to hold it and keep it and just stay with the assignment and just stay with the assignment because maybe God, uh, what God is doing, he needs you it to resonate in you before you decide to regurgitate it. Maybe you need to digest it before you divulge it. Let me see if I can say it another way. Maybe everything that happens in our lives and under assignment and even in our devotion is not for public consumption. Preach, Alexander. Sometimes I need to let God finish doing what he's doing in me and not be guilty of delivering a message that I haven't digested myself. Maybe I need to be careful of bearing a witness when I'm not being a witness. I wish... I now, I don't know why y'all waving at me. If I was at the right Baptocostal situation, and you know I'm Baptocostal, 20 of y'all should have jumped up and said, preach in here, pastor, preach in here. Nobody jumped up. I said, 20 of y'all. 20 of y'all need to jump up and say, preach, Alexander. That's three. I need 17 more to jump and say, preach, Alexander. Because maybe Christians are guilty of sharing what they're not living. And maybe one of our biggest problems is we like to tell folks something we're not living. I wish I had some help in here. So before you share a message, make sure you really got the message yourself. I wish I had some company in the room. Maybe we've been some of the issues and maybe we've been the problem in the world because the world keeps seeing Christians post something they don't possess. They keep seeing the world. They keep seeing us tell about a Christ we're not living out. And so maybe the mandate is make sure you live what you share. So the way to do it is maybe live it first, then share it. I got another possibility of why he puts him under this assignment of restraint, and that is, could it be a question of motive? Are we sharing our blessings strictly to be accepted back into society or to highlight who Jesus is? Let me push. The man was in a, in a hurry to share it because he wanted society to accept him. So the man went on this tangent to prove to society he's acceptable. So he took what Jesus did for him and used it to get in good with society. You preaching in here. And so now it pushes the fact that although this miracle is important in the text and in the ministry of Jesus Christ, what's more important than the miracle is that the first verse of Mark chapter 1 says he came that the good news of Jesus Christ might be spread. And so here it is. Is it possible that Christians are more important? 
impressed and more interested in making impressing people than impacting people. And we're more indulged with telling folks what God did for us so we will look good and they know more about you than they know about your Jesus. So they know your address. They just don't know your advocate. Preach, Pastor. They know your car. They don't know your Christ. They know about your money, but they don't know your master because we'll post where we live, but we won't post who we're living for. And then we will brag about how much money we make, but we won't brag about the master we have. Help me preaching. We'll show folks and put on our license plates, God did it. But sweetheart, if all God did for you was a car, it's a drug dealer that got a better car. You need to have something about your life that's bigger than what an unbeliever has. You need to point them to more than what clothes you wore and where you live and where you work and what's your title. You need to tell them something that only God could do. Your testimony ought to be, if it had not been for the Lord on my side, I don't know where I'd be. I don't have any help in here. Your testimony ought to be bigger than what you wore to church. You ought to share what you got out of church. Your testimony ought to be bigger than who preached. You ought to talk about what he talked about. And I'm telling you, we'll take selfies and folks will know what we wore to church before they'll know what we got out of church. I wish I had some help in here. And maybe he's saying, hold it, because now you're more interested in the attention being on you than on Jesus. And when you're sharing the good news, are you talking about your blessings or are you really bragging? Have you made Christianity be about cash, cribs, and cars? Or have you made it be about Christ? God is bigger than the stuff you got. And I'd like to think if you lost all your stuff, you'd still be all right because you still got Jesus. And we have to be careful with this prosperity gospel that makes people think if you get saved, you're going to be rich. Guess what? You can get in heaven rich, but if you don't have a dime, if you got Jesus, you'll still be all right. I wish I had somebody. You might be the boss at the job or you may be the janitor at the job, but if you got Jesus, you'll still be all right. I don't have anybody helping me. And there are some effects of when you jump out of assignment. They rattled the powers to be both politically and religiously. When he got done telling, now everybody, all these powers got in. in. Because here's what you got to do. You got to be careful when you start sharing your blessing. Because if you're not mature, what you don't understand, more than the prayer warriors heard your blessing. And some of you can't handle the attack that comes with oversharing. Because when you get blessed, everybody is not happy for you. I wish I had some help in here. When you get blessed, somebody's trying to find a way to attack you because God's been good to you. And if you're not mature, the same thing that was a blessing can become a curse when you don't know how to handle it. Preach, Pastor. Then there's another issue with this, this oversharing and this being premature and this jumping out of assignment. Scoot in. Are y'all ready? I'm almost there. And that is now people, Jesus could not go around town sharing the gospel. Now people have to go further to come in contact with the good news of Jesus Christ. So be careful that your life does not become a stumbling block for other folks getting to Jesus. Don't get so blessed you're getting away. Whew. 
jo- Joseph was blessed, had a dream, went to sleep, had a dream. God told him he was going to elevate him. Preach Alexander. Let's try it again. Preach Alexander. And Joseph woke up, went in the room with his brothers, 11 brothers, went and found his 11 brothers, 11 brothers, and told them, all y'all going to bow down to me. I don't know what block you from, <laughs> but the one I'm from, that's not a good idea. And, and then, he, then he went and found his mama and daddy and told his mama and daddy, and y'all going to bow down to me too. I want y'all to pray for Eric and Ethan because if either one of them ever have a dream and come in my room and tell me I'm going to bow down to them, I'm going to say, go find the God you had while you were asleep because I'm about to put you back to sleep. Because what Joseph should have done was, although God gave a promise, just keep living through the process. Wait, wait, you're not, then Samson, yeah, God told him about his strength and his power, and Samson overshared with the light, laying in the wrong lap will get you every time, and he went to bed with locks and woke up bald-headed. I wish I had some help in here. But then there's David, his brothers came in the house, and the oil wouldn't go out, and they were trying to anoint the next king of Israel, and then they went and found David out in a field who was tending the sheep. They brought him in. The oil came down. The prophet declared him as the next king of Israel. And guess what David did? Went back out in the field and finished being a shepherd. Preach Alexander. When God blesses you, don't leave your assignment. Don't get so bougie and blessed. You abandon your assignment just because God has made you a promise. And lean in, child of God. God is so infinite in his wisdom. You don't have to provoke God to keep his promises. All you got to do is live in the process. God don't need you to remind him of what he promised you. God is a man that shall not lie. If he said it, he's going to do it. You just got to live through the process. Look at your neighbor and help me preach to your role. I mean, I need you to help me preach to your role and tell your neighbor God don't need reminders about his promises. He just needs you to stay in the process. Keep doing what he told you to do. Keep Keep living like he told you to live. Keep honoring his assignment. And God is going to perform his promises. If he said it, he's going to do it. Here it is. So what do you do with all these blessings? Can I make a suggestion? Rejoice righteously. Make sure you have righteous rejoicing. What do you mean? The leper was so humble before the healing, but so disobedient after the healing. Hunt your neighbor says, is he talking about you? He was begging Jesus. Before the healing. But he disregarded him. After the healing. I'm coming your way. Don't get so blessed. You forget to stay humble. Because the same God gave it. Is the same God that can take it away. And some of us were real faithful when we were driving the hoopty. Some of us were real faithful when we were on the entry level. I don't hear anybody. 
Some of us was real faithful. I wish I had somebody. In the one-bedroom apartment, some of us were faithful when we were broke. Some of us was faithful when we were lonely. But the same God that was with you when you were in the hoopty is the same God that's with you in the new car. And the same God that was with you in the studio apartment is the same God that's with you in the house. Don't you change up. Don't get beside yourself post-deliverance. So many plead with God for deliverance from one thing or another and then fail to be good stewards of the life God graciously restored. Here's what you do. Don't leave, leave ministry just because you're blessed. Ministry does not need to lose its place in your life. Then don't begin to live on your own terms just because you're blessed. Don't lower your standards to accommodate your desires. And don't think because you're blessed, you got the right to adjust your assignment. No relationship, no job, no position, no amount of money, no friend, no education, no age, no status gives you the right to adjust God's assignment for your life. What do you do then? Are y'all ready? He tells the man, don't tell it. He tells the man, say it with me, don't tell it. Say it a little bit louder. Even louder. But although he told the man not to, well, no, that's not fun. Let's do it another way. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. Now say it with a little preach in your voice. Put a little preach in your voice. Say, neighbor. That's a boring preacher. I mean, Nobody's going to join your church like that. Put a little preaching in your voice. Put a little fire on it. Say, hey, neighbor. There it is. He told the man, don't tell it. But he never told it. He couldn't show it. Maybe you can't tell always what God has done for you. But you ought to show he's been good to you. I'm, I'm, I'm about to get happy all by myself. Maybe my assignment is not to talk about it more than I live about it. And maybe if I can't say it out loud, I ought to live it out loud. I don't hear anybody. Oh, come on, go with me. Maybe my life ought to be my testimony. And maybe when you see me, you ought to know God's been good to me. When the lottery was almost a billion dollars, I came home and my wife said, did you buy a ticket? I said, I'm not telling you. She said, I bet you got a ticket. I said, that's not your business. She said, well, if you win, you're going to tell me. I said, if I win, I won't have to tell you. If I win, I got a sneaky suspicion. If I got almost a billion dollars in the bank, you're going to know it without me saying anything. She said, well, how? Because you won't be able to make me mad. <laughs> Everything you do, I'm going to smile and keep on laughing. You won't be able to get under my skin. My attitude going to change. My actions going to change. I wish I had some help in here. I'll be walking around, and when I walk in the house, you'll know I want. Y'all missed it. I said, when you look at me, you'll know I'm a winner. 
And I got to tell some Christians something. If the Lord's been good to you, if the Lord has made a way for you, when I look at you, I ought to know you're a winner. Back at the church I came from, they say, you may not be able to sing like an angel. You may not be able to preach like Paul. But if the Lord's been good to you, you ought to show some sign. Your personality ought to say he's been good. Your smile ought to say he's been good. You ought to laugh when nothing's even funny. You ought to just walk around and say, when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all he's done for me, I wish I had some help in here. Grab somebody by the hand and tell them, hey, neighbor, I can't tell you my business, but just look at me. When you look at me, you're looking at a testimony. When you look at me, you're looking at a miracle. That wasn't the right neighbor. Find you another neighbor and say, hey, neighbor, after all I've been through, I ought to have my clothes on backwards by now. After all I've been through, I ought to be in a room blowing bubbles by now. But when I walked in here this morning, that was a testimony all by itself. When I came in here this morning, my attitude should have told you that God's been good. Been good to me. I wish I had some help in here. Not only should your personality show it, but your practices ought to show it. If God raised you up, you don't have to brag about it. Raise somebody else up. If God hooks you up, hook somebody else up. If God gives you a promotion, promote somebody else. If God gives you some money, give to somebody else. You ain't got to tell it, but you ought to show it. Have five, three people and tell them, show it. If he saved you, show it. If he raised you, show it. If he brought you out, show it. If he turned your life around, show it. If the Lord been good to you, you ought to show it. Your personality ought to show it. Your practices ought to show it. But I got one more thing that ought to show it. Your praise ought to show it. I said your praise ought to show it. I wish I had a witness. Your praise ought to show it. Do me a favor, lean over. I'm gone now and tell your neighbor, hey neighbor, I can't tell you about some of this stuff. Some of this stuff got real bad. Look at him say, you have no idea how bad it got. But I got a strong suspicion that the leper didn't have to tell it. As sick as he was, when he showed up looking brand new, he didn't have to say a word because he didn't look like what he'd been through. Look at somebody and say, hey neighbor, all you need to know is I don't look like what I've been through. I don't feel like what I've been through because God's been good to me. Well, here we're gonna do, 
You can't tell them about the heartbreak, about the divorce, about the bankruptcy, about the sickness, about the children, about the job. But can you take 30 seconds and say, I can't tell y'all, but let me show you. Show somebody it's been good. No, he's been better than that. He's been better than that. Oh, I forgot. You forgot about the time he healed you. He's been better than that. You forgot about the time he stopped you from crying. You forgot about the time he turned your life around. And don't forget about when he had to take care of your crazy children. He's been better than that. He's been better than that. Look at somebody and say, neighbor, I can't tell my business. But look at me and see if you can figure it out. Sean God's been good to you. Oh, come on. Sean God's been good to you. I said, Sean God's been good to you. I said, show somebody that if it had not been for the Lord 